We have a uh, topical message this morning, and the reason why is because everybody has a three-day weekend, and that three-day weekend is Memorial Day weekend, and a lot of folks have no idea what Memorial Day is, and we just go through the process on Memorial Day of barbecuing and the like, and uh, this week I was invited to speak at the Rotary, and I was asked to talk on some city issues, and I got there and I heard um, some amazing veterans share about their experiences and the conflicts that they were a part of um, throughout the history of our country. And I I was overcome with emotion. And and then it was my turn to speak. And I I changed what I was going to talk about. And and as I was sharing with the Rotary Club those things that were on my heart, uh, through the course of this week, the Lord also put on my heart to share the same thing. Not the exact words I shared there, but the concept of this idea that in our country, uh, we celebrate Memorial Day to remember those who have fallen defending our nation. Every nation around the world does some sort of a memorial for their war dead. What makes America's different? And when we understand what makes America's fallen different, I think we're going to understand really what this nation was conceived for and what men and women who gave the ultimate sacrifice died for. And I, I, I want this not to be a three-day weekend of obliteration and drunkenness, but one of remembrance. And so with that, we're going to undertake a study of Memorial Day. Um, and I can't think of anyone better to launch that than um, the very first president I ever voted for. Um, and I know it's another video, but... This one's way more entertaining than Micah. (laughs) This will deeply touch you. Um, This is President Ronald Reagan on Memorial Day. Listen to it and then I'll come back. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land We unleash the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. The price for this freedom at times has been high, but we have never been unwilling to pay that price. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes They just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers bearing crosses or stars of David. They add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. Each one of those markers is a monument to the kind of hero I spoke of earlier. Their lives ended in places called Bellow Wood, the Argonne, Omaha Beach, Salerno, and halfway around the world on Guadalcanal, Tarawa, Pork Chop Hill, the Chosin Reservoir, and in a hundred rice paddies and jungles of a place called Vietnam. Under one such marker lies a young man, Martin Treptow who left his job in a small-town barber shop in 1917 to go to France with the famed Rainbow Division. There on the Western Front, 
He was killed trying to carry a message between battalions under heavy artillery fire. We're told that on his body was found a diary. On the flyleaf, under the heading, My Pledge, he had written these words. America must win this war. Therefore, I will work, I will save, I will sacrifice, I will endure. I will fight cheerfully and do my utmost as if the issue of the whole struggle depended on me alone. We must realize that no arsenal or no weapon in the arsenals of the world is so formidable as the will and moral courage of free men and women. It is a weapon our adversaries in today's world do not have. It is a weapon that we as Americans do have. Let that be understood by those who practice terrorism and prey upon their neighbors. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. Yesterday, I was to drive to LAX to pick up one of our missionaries who's visiting, and I was asked by a constituent in the community if I would stop over in Simi Valley, which isn't on the way to LAX, but if I'd go to Simi Valley uh, to visit the um, mobile Vietnam Memorial that had been set up at their veterans park uh, in Simi Valley. And I drove there and was moved uh, to see grown men crying at nothing more than a wall with names, seeing flowers along the wall of a portable memorial that folks would come and mourn and weep. The volunteers that man it 24 hours a day as it's open say that those that are most grieving come at night when no one's around. You see grown men with their shoulders heaving and, and sobs. They leave them alone. In the last service, as I shared, Three people came up to me. One was a gold star mother who had lost a son in combat. And two were children whose parents had died or a parent had died. One man in particular said, my dad died in Korea. He never came home. In peacetime, typically, not always, but in peacetime, sons bury their fathers. But in war, fathers bury their sons. I know that's not always true because we're in a world of violence. But I didn't want this day to go by without thinking about it a little bit. Because as we sit in this room with scriptures that we have opened week in and week out, that Bible is not permitted longitude and latitude in a portion of the world, the 1040 window, to be read in public 
But here, a nation through the 6,000 years of recorded human history, this nation has experienced 243 years of unprecedented freedom. Freedom is a word that seems to unify Americans, however we define that word. For some of us, it's freedom from the government bothering us. It's freedom to do as we please. For others of us, it's freedom to pursue virtue, freedom of religion. But as Americans, we cherish the word, though we all may have a different definition of it. But what was the founder's definition and what makes this nation of all the nations in the 6,000 years of recorded history where every single government with the exception of America was an oligarchy. The elite would rule the many. And then on December, excuse me, on July 4th, 1776, this birth certificate that declares when in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth a separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and nature's God entitled them. A decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to this separation. These Men would write, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, among those being life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Further down it says, we therefore the representatives of the United States of America and General Congress assemble appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions due in the name and the authority of the good people of these colonies solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states, free. And for the support of this declaration with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, God, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. 25,000 newly minted Americans would die defending that declaration. That experiment in liberty would almost be destroyed at the latter portion of the year that it was birthed. It was at Valley Forge with Washington freezing, a third of his troops with dysentery, another third not having boots, wrapping their feet in burlap sacks. Conscriptions would be up by January 1 and this experiment in liberty would be over. Passing out the pamphlet by Thomas Paine, The American Crisis, These Are the Times that Try Men's Souls, A Summer Soldier and the Sunshine Patriot. When the season shrink from the duty of their country, but those that defend it now deserve the love and respect of all men and women. Passing out that pamphlet, the remaining third of the troops marched the 11 miles to Trenton in the worst snowstorm in the eastern seaboard history, leaving a trail of blood with those who wore burlap sacks upon their feet, many freezing to death on the way there, crossing the Delaware, surprising the Hessians on Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, when most people were by the warmth of a fire enjoying a turkey or some sort of 
carcass. They were fighting. Only one in nine Americans fought. Turned the tide of the war. And 243 years later, you get to enjoy this. Those 25,000 soldiers that died defending that declaration were not the only blood that would be poured upon this altar of freedom. We would go on to lose hundreds of thousands of others. Why? Imagine if the TV you were watching had a news announcement and you heard these three announcements on the news today. The Chief Justice of the Supreme Court has just issued this statement. God has given to our people the choice of their rulers and it is the duty of our Christian nation to select and prefer Christians for their rulers. Chief Justice. Imagine if you're watching the news and not only was that announcement on, but it was followed by this announcement. Inquiries by our reporters reveal that almost every state legislature has now passed a law requiring all elected officials to take this oath. I do profess faith in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ, his only Son, and I do acknowledge the Holy Scriptures and the Old and New Testament to be given by divine inspiration. And one more announcement, ladies and gentlemen. Legislation was just passed today in Congress to affirm that the Congress of the United States approves and recommends the Holy Bible for use in the schools. You're thinking, that'll never happen. The amazing fact is this. All these statements are historically accurate and occurred in the history of our nation. It was John Jay, the very first Chief Justice, often called the father of the Supreme Court, and one of the primary writers of the Constitution who wrote, it is the duty of our Christian nation to select and prefer Christians for their rulers. With, beginning with the state of Delaware and countless other states throughout the Union, they said um, in their charters, along with most of the other states, they required office holders to take an oath affirming their Christian faith before they could take office. And not only did Congress in 1782 approve the use of the Bible in our schools, they even paid for them with tax dollars. And in 1844, when someone sued to remove them, the Supreme Court ruled this way. They said, why should not the Bible and especially the New Testament be read and taught as divine revelation in the schools? Where can the purest principles of morality be learned so clearly and so perfectly as from the New Testament? You didn't get that in your education. You probably think it doesn't exist, but uh, I know you've been indoctrinated. It's time you become educated. Why don't you read? Don't dismiss me because you don't like it. Read it. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Search, search that out. The reason why I say this is because this nation is very unique in our men and women who have given the ultimate sacrifice to die upon the altar of freedom died for something bigger than you and I. It began thousands of years ago in slavery. Three to five million slaves were set free by the hand of God, delivered out of bondage into freedom. It's declared every Sabbath when Jewish Orthodox believers and conservative and sometimes reformed gather around a table to celebrate this meal, recognizing the exodus of their people from slavery into freedom. It's when Three to five million Jews left Egypt, 
And God delivered them through the 10 plagues he placed upon Pharaoh. And each of these plagues declared that I, the sovereign God, am greater than the little gods you worship, small g. They passed through the Red Sea, which was miraculous in and of itself. The Jews went through on dry ground. God led them as a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. He provided light for them to walk through the Red Sea as the waters had parted, but he created absolute darkness for the Egyptians behind. When all three to five million got safely to the other side, God caused the waters to return and vanquish the greatest army on the face of the earth, and they drown. America has a similar birth in that we took on the greatest military on the face of the earth that had just defeated the second largest military, France, and that was Britain who had destroyed France, and now this upstart 13-colony rebellion took on this great superpower of the British Empire. When these Jews had passed through safely on the Red Sea, God delivered them into the wilderness, the scripture says, which is a generous way, and I've declared this before, of saying desert. And in this desert where there was no food and no water, no crops, God miraculously provided for them 40,000 tons of food every day for 40 years. In addition, there was water provided where there was no water. And when they got tired of manna, God provided quail. Blow, they would blow off course, and they would eat so much quail that it would come out their nostrils. If you've ever been that full before, I have. <laughs> Miraculously, as you read the account, their clothes never wore out, their shoes never wore out. It was remarkable. 40 years in this desert, every day, 40,000 tons of food. Water for three to five million people in the desert. But the greatest of these were two things. One is, these three to five million Jews, just like the gathering of folks in this room, needed to have some sort of order and structure. And their leader, Moses, goes up on Mount Sinai, and while he's up there, he is given a downloaded moral app called the Ten Commandments. And as God gives this, the first five, our relationship with the Lord, second five, our relationship with each other, he comes down from the mountain with these two, comm- these two tablets of stone and declares to the people, this is the moral knowledge that would guide you. So here you have the combination of Jerusalem or the Jewish people and Athens, which would be the birthplace of a republic, and the two combined together because in Jerusalem with the Jews, this downloaded moral app appears in the culture, and then Jethro visits, Jethro is Moses' father-in-law, comes to him and says, by inspiration of God, your work is overwhelming. You need to push the authority down to the people. You need to find godly men who are not covetous, appoint them over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens, which is where today we get our federal, state, county, and local government. It also gave us a three system of government. We have the legislative, executive, and judicial branch because the scripture says in Isaiah that God is our king, our lawgiver, and our judge. That's where our founders got that idea of a three system of government. All of these were established. And as this downloaded moral app came to Moses and as he imparted it to the three to five million Jews, these were men and women who dwelt together having children, generations, 40 years in one community. But what's fascinating is that three to five million Jews, though they had 40,000 tons of food every day and water where there wasn't any and clothes that didn't wear out and shoes that didn't wear out and God speaking and a pillar of fire and a cloud by day and all these things, the most amazing miracle is three to five million people operated together without a police force or a standing army. 
because they endeavored to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, that they were accountable to God and accountable to each other. Remarkable in the history of the world. And to this day, that one nation resides in a sea of chaos that wants to annihilate them and wipe them off the face of the earth. This idea that human dignity exists, that we have been created in the image of God, fearfully and wonderfully made, knitted together in our mother's womb, that's scripture, that's not Rob. And with that declaration, the idea of this liberty was established as Moses was given these commandments. Leviticus would declare, this, Moses would write in Leviticus, that which is found on the Liberty Bell in Philadelphia, this scripture, and you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land and to all of its inhabitants. This concept of liberty I've shared this with you before. We are the land of the free and the home of the brave. We love freedom. You've heard me say this. Freedom is having choices. We have unbelievable choices in America. And we we sit and we debate where we're going to eat. Oh, I don't want that. I had it last week. I had that this morning. I can't, oh, I I can't eat sushi yet again. Choices in great abundance. You don't walk into a supermarket and all that's available is whatever's left on the shelf. You have abundance of choices. We throw away more food than most, world, uh, most nations have on their shelves. We're a land of abundance. Freedom is having choices, but the idea that God is speaking of is this concept of liberty. You see, liberty is different than freedom. Liberty is doing what's right. The apostle Paul would write to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians, he'd say, now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. Liberty is God's declaration that these are the commandments I've given to you. You operate right with me, you'll operate right with each other. And blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. I'll give you freedom when you apply liberty. And that's a fascinating insight because Galatians, Paul would write this from prison. He would say, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty for which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again to the yoke of bondage. He was in in bondage. He was in prison when he wrote this, but he said, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty for which Christ has set you free. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was exercising liberty while he was in a prison kept there by Adolf Hitler himself. Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was exercising liberty when he was in a prison in Birmingham, Alabama. The Apostle Paul was exercising liberty while in a prison by the Romans. Liberty is doing what's right, and it'll usually put you in jeopardy. It'll usually get you in trouble. But when men and women stand for liberty, as those founders did in the Declaration of Independence that would cause 25,000 newly minted Americans to die, that liberty that they stood for, fought for, died for, bled for, has now allowed you freedom. So you can decide where you want to eat today where you want to live, whether or not you are going to read your Bible or not read your Bible, go to church or not go to church. You have choices because this is the land of the free, because of the home of the brave. But there's something interesting. We're watching freedoms evaporate. They're taking more and more of our income and giving us less and less choices. As a city councilman, I sit and I watch as a city is losing its autonomy to the state and the federal government, desperate citizens of the community come to us and say, fix it. 
And everything is, 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 from their estimation, this desire to apply the doctrine of the lesser covenant or the lesser magistrate that we as the city would take on the federal government and the state government and, and, and step into a lawsuit for this and step into a lawsuit for that. And really all of us as citizens are just watching our rights eroded because freedom is only as strong as the liberty instilled in the hearts of men and women. And if we don't exercise liberty, we don't have freedom. Freedom requires vigilance. The men and women who bled and died that we recognize on Memorial Day did so that you would have an ability to have choices, but more importantly, that you could educate your children to defend liberty. Liberty requires vigilance. I read those three statements that you find almost ludicrous, but actually that was the course of the nation itself. You want to see something else that makes America significant? 1620. When these principles started in Jerusalem with with Moses and the Exodus, and they traveled into Europe through the New Testament as Paul's preaching this in Galatia, and these ideas of liberty thou transfer into Europe. The scriptures are written. Tyndale is burned at the stake. They start to press these and start to look at what civil government looks like from the perspective of God. They give us a Geneva Bible. They give us a margin with all of the scriptures pertaining to civil government. These separatists start to form these civil governments to contend with the oligarchies of the world in the 6,000 years of recorded history where mankind wants to concentrate power and enslave other human beings. These men and women inspired by the scriptures start to put together a form of government never before seen on the, history, on the face of the earth. They imply godly principles in this concept of a republic through Athens and they bring Jerusalem and Athens together to form a constitutional republic that was established when they crossed the Atlantic seeking freedom. Religious freedom, but freedom nevertheless. Freedom to impart these truths to their children that righteousness would exalt a nation and sin is a reproach to any people, not being subject as a slave to any human being. And as they came over, they landed and they wrote the Mayflower Compact in 1620. And they signed it. It was the very first governmental compact on, the, on this soil. That would be the precursor of everything else that we would receive as a nation. And they wrote in this compact, to the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith. In the early colonies and the first public buildings to be erected, they were church houses. First public exercise was the worship of Almighty God. When sorrow would come to a community, they would gather at the churches. When their barns would be full after the harvest, they would gather to say thank you to God. This was a nation conceived in liberty, conceived in freedom. And these early settlers gathered and they started to receive this abundance because righteousness exalts a nation. And with this righteousness comes abundance and abundance provides and, and, and produces apathy. We tend to forget who did for us what they did. This is a three-day weekend, and I don't need somebody harping on me about history. I've got a barbecue to attend. And with this abundance comes apathy. Apathy from our young people. Apathy from our older folks. Folks who are just tired of looking at this, and they just don't want to participate anymore. Well, the same apathy occurred in the colonies, after this declaration for the glory of God and the furtherance of, the Christian, uh, of, of Christendom in this Mayflower Compact, by 1730, the atmosphere had de- deteriorated rapidly. Churches were dying. Many of them had, that had once sought religious freedom 
for themselves were now intolerant of others. Nobody was going to church anymore. And they went into strange spiritual directions. And many cults that are around today were all birthed out of this era. The end result of it was that by 1730, only about 10% of the people of the colonies attended church at all. It's like America today. That which begun for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith had almost disappeared from our land. Much of what you hear derogatory about the early church comes out of this period. It was a tragic time. But then something amazing happened. And I'm praying for that now. Beginning in 1734, a handful of preachers, Jonathan Edwards, sinners in the hands of an angry God, George Whitfield, John Wesley, Charles Wesley, they began to preach in churches and in the streets and in the fields all over America. These soon turned into great crusades and revivals that spread throughout all the 13 colonies. So many people came to that, to Christ in that era that they called it the Great Awakening. All of a sudden, a switch, a, 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 a switch had been flipped and all of a sudden everyone was awakened to God. Tens of thousands dedicated their lives to Jesus Christ and were baptized. So many people came to hear Whitfield as he traveled the colonies that he had to hold open-air meetings because there just wasn't enough room in the churches. Benjamin Franklin, one of our founders, oh, he's a deist, oh, whatever. Benjamin Franklin wrote, It was wonderful to see the change soon made in the manners of our inhabitants from being thoughtless or indifferent or complacent about religion. It seemed as if the world were growing religious so that one could walk through the town in an evening and all you would hear were psalms sung in different families of every street. That's Ben Franklin. He also uh, was responsible because he was so impressed with George Whitfield's preaching that he helped build an auditorium to accommodate the crowds of up to 30,000 that came to hear Whitfield preach. And by the way, Philadelphia, where Franklin resided, only had a population of 25,000. And these 13 colonies that were once 10% Christian were now more than 50% Christian, and every single founding father was affected by this religious awakening. Why am I telling you that? Because that's when they entered in, that's when they entered into the Revolutionary War. These declarations of truths so touched them that they wanted to respond in such a manner as to declare liberty upon the face of the earth. When in the course of human events it becomes necessary. It wasn't just for America, it was for the world. Peter understood this. He wrote, Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or the governors, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. He then says, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as a bondservants of God, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. What he was saying is God ordains government. And it's not a, a trivial matter to break away from another government or to create division. But once there is slavery, just like the Jews were allowed to leave Egypt, God allowed us to leave the king. And to pursue this relationship with God that the king wanted to suppress because no one is greater than God. And our founders established this. And they wrote the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights. They were all signers. And those who put their lives on the lines to pledge their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor fought and died that we might all be free. All these men and women that 
were responsible for that grew up in the Great Awakening. Their hearts were awakened to the things of God. That in the history of the world's population, America represents only 3%, but we're responsible for the greatest accumulation of wealth than any other nation in the history of the world. We have more patents, more Nobel Peace Prize winners, more symphonies written. This is an amazing nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. There was a 10-year period where political science professors gathered at a college and they examined 15,000 writings by founding fathers and their goal was to determine the primary source of the ideas for the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence by looking at what the founders quoted most often and what source they sought. And 94% of the quotes the founders of our nation used were based on the Bible. The point of all this is that this brought them to the eve of a cultural revolution, of the Revolutionary War, that 25,000 would die, bleed, and give the ultimate sacrifice for your freedom, your choices. I'm almost finished. I have seven minutes. There was a conversation between an early historian and an elder veteran of the Revolutionary War. I think it occurred in 1840. A conversation between the elderly veteran of the Battle of Concord, Levi Preston, and a young historian, Mellon Chamberlain, when Chamberlain asked Preston whether he and his fellows had been influenced by James Harrington, Algernon Sidney, and John Locke, Preston said he had never heard of them. These were all these great Enlightenment thinkers. And the man responded by saying, we only read the Bible, the Catechism, Watts, Psalms, and hymns, and the Almanac. And when asked why he and his fellows had fought the British, he said, we had always governed ourselves and we had always meant to. They didn't mean that we would be able to or that we should. And so they fought. Fascinatingly, 25,000 died. But this nation was born. A short time thereafter, the nation would be wrapped in a great civil war. And as I was thinking of Memorial Day, the Gold Star mother and the son who didn't grow up with his dad, this was written November 21st, 1864. Dear Madam, I've been shown in the files of the War Department a statement of the Adjutant General of Massachusetts that you are the mother of five sons who have died gloriously on the field of battle. I feel how weak and fruitless must be any word of mine which should attempt to beguile you from a grief of a loss so overwhelming. But I cannot refrain from tendering you the consolation that may be found in the thanks of the republic they died to save. I pray our heavenly Father, may you sage the anguish of your bereavement and leave you only the cherished memory of the loved and lost and the solemn pride that must be yours to have laid so costly a sacrifice upon the altar of freedom. Yours very sincerely and respectfully, Abraham Lincoln. A year earlier, Abraham Lincoln was reviled and despised. Hundreds of thousands of Union soldiers had died in the meat grinder of the Civil War as Grant was pushing them into this meat grinder later in the war, but each of the Union generals was just absolutely inept. And every city was affected by a loss of a son, a father, a brother, or a friend. And as the dead piled up, and the first time that the Confederate forces invaded the North in July of that year, 
and hundreds of thousands died. A cemetery was dedicated in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania to those dead. The rains had been fierce. The corpses lifted through the dirt and the stench of decaying bodies was prevalent that the women of society would gather and wearing masks and perfume to try to avoid the stench. They listened to a speech by Edward Everett who went on bloviating for two hours and they didn't even want to invite the President of the United States. They reviled him and hated him, but they let him speak for four minutes. His speech was so quick that they didn't have time to take a picture of him on the podium. And as he stood, in the stench of those dead bodies, he gave a very clear understanding as to what they were fighting for and why they died. Four score and seven years ago, our forefathers brought forth on this continent a new nation, conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Now we are engaged in a great civil war, testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. We are met on a great battlefield of that war. We have come to dedicate a portion of that field as a final resting place for those here who have given their lives that that nation might live. It is altogether fitting and proper that we should do this, but in a larger sense, we cannot dedicate, we cannot consecrate, we cannot hallow this ground. The brave men living and dead who struggled here have consecrated it far above our poor power to add or detract. The world will little note nor long remember what we say here, but it can never forget what they did here. It is for us, the living rather, to be dedicated here to the unfinished work which they who fought here have thus far so nobly advanced. It is rather for us to be dedicated to the great task remaining before us that from these honored dead we take increased devotion to that cause for which they gave the last full measure of devotion. That we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom and that government of the people, by the people, and for the people shall not perish from the face of the earth. I think about a need for an awakening to liberty, but we're more concerned with our freedom. We'll give up our freedom for the sake of security and we'll receive neither. Liberty's dangerous. Standing for truth will put you in the minority. Apathy seems to have embraced us all. But never forget this, when I drive through Washington, D.C. and I visit there, I notice that the buildings, there's no skyscrapers. It seems odd to me that all the buildings are of the same height and don't seem to tower over another. It's not like normal downtown inner cities with, with no sunlight coming through because of the size of the buildings. But then when one understands that no building is allowed to be taller than the Washington Monument, it makes complete sense. And that at the pinnacle of the Washington Monument, in Latin are the words, let God be praised. The founders didn't want anything to go above God. Nothing. And so they established this. And why have our men and women died why do we have a Memorial Day? Why is this a different weekend than all others? Thomas Paine wrote, those who expect to reap the blessings of freedom must, like men, undergo the fatigue of supporting it. Supporting 
a bottom-up government. I can't get people to a council meeting unless it's a singular issue. And then even then, they don't stay for the rest of the meeting. You pass a $200 million budget and the folks that were so concerned about this don't stay for that. Baffling. You can't get people to attend a school board meeting. Nobody participates in a representative form of government of the people, by the people, for the people. We're too busy. We've got freedom. We've got choices. And we don't have to go to that. And we certainly don't have to labor for what men and women died for. I don't wear this ring because it's shiny and you're like fish looking for the lure. I found it. I'm glad to have it back on. This ring is over 100 years old. It belonged to the great-grandmother, excuse me, great-grandfather of Dr. Alice Crilly, who died in her late 90s. Dr. Crilly was 23 years old when her great-grandmother passed. Her great-grandmother was 16 years old and was an eyewitness of the Gettysburg Address. I'm one witness removed from the Gettysburg Address. That's how young this nation is, conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. And how much apathy does it take that we would only look at this weekend as a chance for a barbecue as opposed to participating in a government of the people, by the people, and for the people? That, you, that the pastor would have the audacity to declare that. Get to the word. I can get to the word because they paid so great a sacrifice. What kind of a sacrifice? Well, here's the cost of freedom. That's the wall in Simi Valley that I visited. The cost of freedom, 25,324 died in the Revolutionary War, 620,222 in the Civil War, 116,506 in the First World War, 405,399 in World War II, 36,516 in Korea, one being the father of a congregant, and 58,000 plus in Vietnam and countless others around the world engaged in combats whose total is yet to be determined. And when you go and you have your picnic this weekend or your barbecue, this is how one person's going to be celebrating theirs. I'll leave you with this last thought. That's three days following, excuse me, that's three months following the D-Day invasion of Normandy that set the European continent free from the bonds of fascism. December, excuse me, June 6th of this year will mark the 75th anniversary of Normandy. I'm going to visit on that day, a man named Len Zerlin, who's a survivor of D-Day. He doesn't get many visitors these days. He's got a museum in his home that very, very few come to see. He reached out to me. I didn't reach out to him. He said, would you like to come and celebrate D-Day? None of my friends are living anymore. I'm the last. And I thought, I do these things called T.O. Talks. I want to do one at his house with him. I want to acknowledge it at the next council meeting. Why don't we have a veterans park in Thousand Oaks? How is it that we have come to such a place that we have forgotten so great a sacrifice? 
just remember, this is how some will celebrate their Memorial Day. They didn't die in vain. They died so that all of us in this room who hear the word of God can have an awakening to the things of God because righteousness exalts a nation and sin is a reproach to any people. We have the opportunity to infuse the next generation stepping out of our apathy and our abundance and declaring once again liberty, imparting it to generations to come as we apply it to our own lives. And God knows we as a nation need it, especially California itself. I was just in the San Fernando Valley and I saw folks that are in bondage to drugs and we have this concept of homelessness and there are Winnebago's pouring out their black water and people walking with syringes and, and, and bands around their arm having just injected that which is paid for by the government itself. They're walking zombies. You go to the Tenderloin District in San Francisco. You go, you go to Skid Row in L.A. It doesn't, you don't have to go far. It's everywhere. When is enough enough? I, I read the first three things about the founding, and you, you hear that as though it's, it's foreign, that that can't be a part of a, of a nation. But it can be. We engage. We participate. And my prayer is that we see the picture behind me we don't let a day like this go by. Have fun. Enjoy each other's company. Eat. But be mindful and dedicated that your freedom is a result of someone dying for liberty's sake and that we would live for liberty and exercise those rights, as Thomas Paine pointed out. So that this nation of the people, by the people, and for the people will not perish from the face of the earth. I say happy Memorial Day to you, but I'm mindful of folks like that when we keep them in prayer. This is a rough weekend, but it's one we cherish. It's come at a great cost. <laughs>